Scripture today is Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Good morning. We're continuing our study in the Psalms as we think about what it means to continue this journey in life towards a deeper relationship with God as we climb and scour the rocks and work to get to know him better. And in the midst of the journey that's often rough and rocky, a question comes to mind. Where's the joy? Where's the joy? What is joy and how can we find it in life? I think most of us have an unbiblical view of joy. And if we really grasp what the Bible says about where joy comes from and begin to live it out, I think we can move towards a deep kind of joy that will see us through the rough and rocky places in life. I think too many of us as believers are like my old roommate from college and seminary. We were great friends. He was my best friend. Got married, had four beautiful daughters, a solid family. But interestingly enough, he never really learned to deal with his emotions in a healthy way. He developed this attraction for another woman at work. He liked those feelings so much that he had an affair. And he and I talked, and we talked it through about what he was experiencing and feeling, and that he misinterpreted these feelings, these good feelings, as authentic joy. His thinking was foolish. This feels good. I need to have more of this to be happy, so I'm going to go for it. As a result, he blew apart his family, leaving a trail of destruction behind him. He bought into the lie of the world, which is joy comes from good feelings and or from feeling good. Joy, true joy, comes from good feelings and or feeling good. That's the lie of the world. Too many of us are like my friend. There are things we think we need to be happy. Maybe certain kind of love from our spouse, success, money, being liked. That's my particular idol that I've struggled with. But the foolishness of all that is real joy doesn't come from any of those things. And until we find our joy in the Lord, which we know that's where we need to find it, we'll always end up frustrated. Those things may satisfy for a time, but they will always, in the end, leave us empty. The journey is hard. (laughs) It's rocky. It's difficult. So how can we find true joy, a joy that will see us through the rough patches in life? I believe this psalm, Psalm 126, will really help us understand how to find joy in the midst of life. Pray with me. Lord, if we're honest about our own hearts, we recognize that we long for joy. 
but too often we don't experience it, and that we get confused about where real joy comes from. Thank you for your word that speaks directly into our lives, our right where we are. It's real. It's true. The word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword and able to penetrate the division of soul and spirit. May your word accomplish that today so that we might learn to live with real joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 126. The psalmist, if you read the psalm carefully, is going through a really tough time. This psalm is actually a lament as the psalmist cries out to Yahweh and says, Restore us. We're going through a tough time. The psalm may have been written perhaps sometime in Israel's history. We aren't sure when that is. It may have been at the time of a great defeat by one of their enemies. Perhaps it was written during the exile after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed and the psalmist writes, Restore us, O Lord. Or it may have been written after the people got back to the land, after the exile, but the temple was small and inadequate and they were still under foreign oppression for the next 500 years. So, Whenever it was written, it's general. We don't know. The author doesn't tell us which time it was because he wants us to be able to apply it to whatever situation we are in. Whatever difficulty we're going through, this psalm applies to us. And what I'm amazed about as I think about the psalm and the difficulty he's going through is his focus. Instead of looking at all the bad stuff going on in his life, he looks for joy. He looks for joy. Joy in the past, joy in the present, and joy in the future. He chooses to look for the hand of God at work in his life and to find joy in that. And if you want to know the big secret of joy, that's it. (laughs) That's one of the great secrets of joy, certainly, is that joy comes from what you choose to focus on. It's a matter of what you choose to put your focus on. I've learned in my marriage that Jeannie is not perfect. And you know what? She's learned I'm not either. (laughs) I know that's surprising, but... (laughs) You know, it didn't take long for Jeannie to discover that. When we first got engaged, she took a personality inventory test on me. And she scored me absolutely perfect. And about two weeks later, she said, let me take that test again. (laughs) That's how long it took. And if she or I choose to focus on the faults, the sins, the errors, the failures of one another, the relationship turns negative pretty quickly. And the joy is gone. But when we choose to change our focus and focus on the good, qualities, on the beauty of soul, on where God is moving, on the delights in the relationship, the things we're thankful for, then the relationship changes and it becomes deeply fulfilling and there's a deeper joy. Do you see? It's all about your focus. And so is the joy of life. So the psalmist begins this psalm by looking back at a time when God restored the fortunes of Israel in the past. 
bringing them back from captivity or from a difficult time. The wording in the Hebrew is unclear. We're not sure what the situation was that he's looking back at. We don't know the incident. The wording's left wide open. But the psalmist could have in mind when Israel was freed from Egypt, Moses came and all the miracles that happened and they came to the Red Sea and they're trapped and they're about to be destroyed. And they cross the Red Sea and the entire Egyptian army is wiped out. It was an incredible victory. The words would certainly fit if that's the situation. Or it could be when King Cyrus, the Persian king, told Israel they could return to the land in 536 B.C. after the exile. Or perhaps some other event in between. But as you hear it, you see that the psalmist is so excited about what God has done in the past. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Amazing what he's describing. It was so awesome. It was like a dream. It was like, I can't believe this is real. This is beyond belief. This is beyond my experience. God has stepped in and surprised us with his incredible intervention in our lives. It's reminiscent of Acts chapter 12 when, remember, Peter's in prison and the people are praying and they pray that God would save his life, save Peter's life. And it says this, starting in verse 6 of Acts 12, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him, Peter, forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. (laughs) Peter thought he was dreaming. Because this was so wild and out of his experience that he was amazed. Well, that's what the psalmist is describing. The Lord did something so incredible for us. It was amazing, and it was like I was dreaming. I couldn't believe it. And then it says their mouths were filled with laughter. They shouted with joy. God had delivered them from the enemy. And they were so excited. They were laughing out loud. Reminds me of stories of POWs who have been captured and they're there for a long time, for years perhaps, as prisoners. And then suddenly they're freed, surprisingly, and it's like suddenly life is totally different. And they laugh and they cry with joy. It's an amazing time. That's what the psalmist is describing. And then at the end of verse 2, it's really interesting. It says, Then they said among the nations... The Lord's done great things for them. He's describing this event that the world looked and said, Wow, look what Yahweh has done for his people. This was a testimony to the whole world, whatever the psalmist is describing. You see, when God moves in our lives, and when he brings restoration, when he brings life to our lives, then then the whole world sees. They are watching what God is doing. And the world, it says, says, Wow, the Lord, Yahweh, has done great things for his people. God's using us and what happens in our lives to be a testimony to the nations, to make his power known. 
And that brings joy, a sense of impact, a sense of significance for the kingdom of God. So here's the question for for us, for you and me. What can we look back on to say, wow, (laughs) look at what God has done. It was like we were dreaming. God has done amazing things for us. There was a time in my life when the joy was real and deep and profound. I think for most of us, probably the greatest event for that is our salvation, being saved, being set free from sin. God wants us to never forget that he stepped in and performed an amazing miracle when he brought us to himself. When through the cross of Christ, he freed us from the power of Satan. He forgave us our sin. He transferred us to the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, this is a miracle. This is something we can all look back on and say, wow, look what God did. (laughs) Incredible. When he caused us to be born again to a living hope, as Peter says, when we were restored to our creator, the one who made us, when sin had divided us from him. The Bible has many, many descriptions of our salvation because it keeps trying to say, look, keep looking at it from different angles and see how incredible it is and remember the joy that comes from that. That's why regularly taking communion is so important because we so easily forget, don't we? We forget the amazing miracle that God has done through the cross. And so communion is something that Jesus says, remember, 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 do this in remembrance of me. We need to do it. So we do not forget the incredible nature of our salvation. It's so important. (laughs) That helps us have joy in the journey. That helps us keep things in perspective. Imagine an orphan in an orphanage, terrible life, difficult life, A family comes in and says, you know what? We want you. We want you to belong to us. Brings this orphan into their home and loves him or her and cares for him. Provides a home for him. And and imagine this dramatic change, this orphan saying, yeah, but I don't really like the color of the sheets on my new bed. And begins to nitpick at all the little things and forgets to be thankful and appreciative for this amazing family that has chosen them to belong, to him to belong to them. How foolish that would be, right? And yet that's many of us as believers. We, we get caught up in the little things of the world and we, we lose our joy because we forget the amazing nature of the salvation that God has done in adopting us in and making us his child. We get angry that God isn't working out life the way we think he should. And we forget the great things he has done for us. And so a huge part of our joy is keeping in mind what God has done in the past in redeeming us and bringing us to life. If you keep that in mind, it will increase your joy. That's joy from the past. How about joy in the present? Notice verse 3. The nations are saying, wow, the Lord's done great things for them. And here's what the psalmist says. You know what? They're right. (laughs) The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And then he says, restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. 
How can we find joy in this present life now when the way is rocky and hard and we struggle? Well, the world's way of finding joy, I think, is well summarized by Eugene Peterson, where he says this. We try to get joy through entertainment. This is our culture, isn't it? We pay someone to make jokes, tell stories, perform dramatic actions, sing songs. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our own poor lives. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is bored. It's a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary. When we run out of money, the joy trickles away. We cannot make ourselves joyful. It doesn't come that way. So what we end up doing is we either end up trying to feel good by finding something that makes us feel good, or we go to the opposite extreme, which is, well, at least I don't want to feel bad. So we find ways to numb ourselves to the pains of life. And I find too many Christians that are simply living to avoid pain. Peterson again says, a common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. And we can do many other things to try to numb ourselves to to avoid pain and somehow think that will bring joy. Drugs, alcohol, TV, video games, pornography, sex. None of these, though, lead to real joy. But what the psalmist says is this. You know what? We're glad. (laughs) We have joy. Now, remember, they're in exile. They're in a messy situation. But he says, we're glad right now because the Lord has done great things for us. Because God has acted in the past to put us today in a position of grace. That I'm under his grace. That he looks favorably on me. The God of the universe right now. I can be glad. I can have joy because I belong to him and I'm part of his family and I'm under his favor. You see, as you begin to focus on that, then you begin to experience a deeper joy, however bad your circumstances might be. But notice the joy in the present is always going to be bittersweet. Because, as he says in verse 4, restore us, O Lord. Yeah, we're glad, but it's bittersweet because we're not where we long to be. And so, please, Lord, restore us. And notice how he prays it. He says, restore us, O Lord, like, like streams in the Negev. Now, the Negev is southern Israel, which is desert. And most of those streams are dry most of the time. But when they're running with water, it's because there's been a downpour and the water's running in those rivers all of a sudden. And he says, do that, God. Please restore, restore our lives because we want to have even a deeper joy than we have. Bring a thunderstorm. Bring a flash flood. <laughs> so the psalmist isn't afraid to cry out for more. There is bitter sweetness in our lives here on the journey. 
But he doesn't just stay there, as we tend to do, and just crying out, please fix it, please fix it, please fix it. But he has looked at how God is, the amazing things God has done in the past and how we can have joy in the present. And now he looks future to what God promises in the future. And that's verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro, weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice the powerful imagery he uses here. This is really worth meditating on. He's talking about somebody who's going forth weeping. Yeah, life's hard. But that he acknowledges that God's promise is that even my weeping will bring forth fruit. Even the struggle, God will bring to joy. Those who are suffering now, those who are God's redeemed people, will eventually have a deeper joy than you can ever experience in this life. Notice some of the things he emphasizes here. Number one, he's really clear on joy is coming in the future, a deeper joy. It's coming. And think about how that increases your hope, which increases your joy. Now, if you know good's coming and that this is not all there is and the struggles we're facing now are not the end of the story, but there's something far greater coming. He says, hey, there's great stuff coming. This suffering does not have the last word. In fact, our suffering now is actually what God is using to produce good in our lives. Worship team read Romans 8.28. For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's an incredible promise to remember that even the most difficult trials you're facing, God is working that together in his miraculous, creative sovereignty. He's working it for good to help us find a deeper joy down the road, to become like Jesus, to grow in him and find life in him. Our suffering is the very seeds that God is using to plant our future. One of my favorite passages anywhere in the scriptures is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. At the end, verse 16 and following, where Paul writes this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction... Wait a minute, Paul. Paul experienced suffering unlike any of us in this room. I'm not saying your suffering is insignificant. All our suffering is significant. But Paul experienced incredible suffering, and he says, our momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. While we look, focus, right? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Yeah, we're in exile now, and yeah, it's hard. Yeah, we're on the journey, and it's rocky, and it's difficult, and we slip and fall and skin our knees, and it's it's hard. But we shall come home someday, and it will be good beyond what we can believe. Uh, Scripture doesn't even know how to use words to describe the greatness of what heaven will be like and what we will be like in our glorious nature 
with him. And we have all that to look forward to. And if we focus on that and remember that, then it gives us joy even in the midst of what we're going through now. We will enjoy the fruits of our struggle someday. Yesterday, Jeannie and I had the opportunity to go to family friend, friend of our son's wedding up at Brundage. Beautiful day. We were there. It was great. The, it was all set up in the lodge for the reception and the great party. And the wedding itself was up at the top of the lift. So we got to go up to the top and see the beautiful view. The weather was 70s. It was really nice. Great day. Wedding was beautiful. They shared their vows. They focused on Christ. We're all there. You know, everybody's dressed to the T and beautiful day. Wedding's over. We're heading for the lift to head back down. And there's a little ring of thunder. So they shut the lift down. So here we are. We're stuck up there, right? So we're kind of waiting. We think, okay, they'll get it started pretty soon. It starts to rain. If you've ever been to the top of Brundage, there are not many places to hide. The rain gets harder and harder and harder. We are stuffed under the lift platform, which has lots of holes in it. We're all in our wedding outfits, women in beautiful dresses. We're dressed nicely, trying to avoid the drips that are coming through. The wind started to howl. The rain's coming down hard. The wind is blowing the rain into, underneath where we're hiding there. And then it starts to hail. <laughs> People are scrambling for any kind of cover they can find. And we're looking across this little place where we were, and there's, a, there's the bathroom, which is an outhouse. And we're looking, and we go, there's somebody hiding in there. And when anybody had to go to the bathroom, they'd brave the storm and go over and knock on the door, and the guy would come out and stand on the porch and let you use the bathroom, and then he'd go back in. <laughs> and it's an outhouse, folks. It doesn't smell that good, okay? But he just wanted to get out of the storm. Well, finally, the rain kind of quits. So we think, okay, they're going to get it started again. So we can go down and enjoy the reception and the feast that's at the bottom. And then it starts to rain again. We were up there nearly two hours, freezing. It was so cold because we were all soaked by that time and we're holding on to each other trying to stay warm. And there's the guy still in the bathroom <laughs> after two hours. <laughs> Finally, it calmed down. They started the lift and we were able to head down and have the feast. What's interesting is in all of that time, being underneath that platform, trying to stay warm, I didn't hear a single complaint. You see, why didn't anybody complain? Because we're at a wedding. This is a glorious celebration. And, you know, you can put up with a lot when you, when you realize, you know, we're part of something really wonderful here. And, number two, we know there's a feast waiting at the bottom. We know it's coming. Now, there was a time when I thought, you know what? We might be up here all night. <laughs> so the feast may be a long ways off. But we knew it was coming. Brothers and sisters, we are part of something glorious. 
Jesus has called us to be part of his family, and, and we're part of this whole celebration of what he's doing and bringing the kingdom of God. And if you keep that in mind, then you know what? The rain and the snow and the hail and the cold and all that becomes not so important. These momentary light afflictions are nothing compared to what God is doing. So get out of the bathroom, brothers and sisters. You know, I didn't see him down at the bottom. He might still be there for all I know. Get out of the bathroom. Stop trying to just hide from the difficulties of life and, and get out and live with joy knowing what God has done to save you and knowing what's ahead. How can we live with joy in the midst of a life that is painful and hard? Number one, be remembering Remember the joy of your salvation. God has done great things for you. Never forget that. Secondly, be thankful. Interesting. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. and Probably not, because you don't know Greek, but New Testament Greek. The word for joy is kara. The word for grace is charis. The word for gift is charisma. The word for thanksgiving is you. Caristo. All those words are from the same root. Where does joy come from? Ultimately, it comes, it's rooted in learning to give thanks for the gift of grace and live in that thankfulness for the gift of grace and stop worrying about the rain and the, you know, you got to get out of it. Yeah, but don't let that destroy the celebration and the joy that God wants you to live with now. And remember, the joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's a gift from Him. So as you stay close to Him, your joy will grow. Remember, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right next to love at the beginning is joy. Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. As we stay close to him, we receive that gift and we experience that gift. So learn to live in thankfulness right now for what God is doing and what he has done. Be remembering, be thankful, and then third, be hopeful. As the psalmist looks ahead and says, God will restore us. He's promised to take care of his people. He will restore us. So the fact that one day God will fully restore all things in the new heavens and the earth should give us joy as we look forward to what is to come. In summary, be focused on God and what he has done for you. Take your eyes off the difficulty of your circumstances. Yeah, it's hard. I get it. Your knee's bleeding. You need a band-aid. Okay, I get it. But there's so much more to look at and to be celebrating and be thankful for. And as we learn to focus on God and what he's doing and has done and will do, you'll find joy in the present. We probably have all heard the serenity prayer. But I don't know if you've ever heard the whole thing. (laughs) It was written by Reinhold Niebuhr. And here's the complete unabridged version. I think it's very applicable to this psalm. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. 
courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. And then he closes this way, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the way the psalmist who's in a difficult situation helps us move our eyes to you, to what you've done in the past, your incredible deliverance of us from sin and from death, and transferring us to the kingdom of light. You've adopted us in, and Lord, may we celebrate that. And in the midst of a crazy life, May we find joy because of what you have done. May we find a thankfulness because of what you are doing. And may we find joy in the fact that one day all things will be made right. And therefore, what we're going through now is not the last word. Change our focus, Lord. That we might live as people of joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.